0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome out to another episode of the Gat Game University podcast. Tonight's episode features a great conversation with wildlife photographer Jason Loftus. Jason and I sit down and have a good chat about how he got started in wildlife photography and how it translates into his uh, interest in hunting and uh, just have a, a good conversation about how things uh, worked out for him and how someone interested in, in that type of stuff can get started. Uh, so look forward to getting into that podcast with him. I want to thank uh right on optics for uh, helping us bring this podcast to you uh, great optics company bringing rifle scopes tactical scopes and binoculars uh veteran owned uh fantastic uh, lifetime warranty uh, that they stand behind so great company great optics definitely encourage you to check them out uh, with that let's get to the podcast you're listening to the got game university podcast This podcast puts you in the classroom and lets you learn from some of the best hunters and callers in the woods. Hi, this is Taylor and Ryan with Got Game Tech. Got Game Tech is a software development company that builds mobile apps that teach hunters how to call and hunt different
1: animals. Uh, My name is Jason Loftus. I actually uh, live up in northern Utah. Um, I've got a passion for hunting and photography. Um, I actually started in photography about, no, seriously about, I'd say, six years ago. Um, but I've been hunting my entire life. You know, I was the kid that my dad drug around when I was three years old and, uh, drug me out in the woods and, you know, let me scare all the elk away for him and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that whole routine. Oh, yeah. Um, so oh. yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of who I am. I've, uh, you know, been chasing critters with my bow and or my, uh, camera for a lot of years. So,
0: oh, that's awesome. So you said you started six years ago, what was the initial trigger for you that that caused you to start focusing on that?
1: Yeah, so really it was hunting that got me into photography. Um, you know, it all kind of started back when I was—I uh, don't know—it was beyond when I was a kid, but I had I had got a uh, Sony point and shoot camera, and you know back then I can't remember what megapixel it was, but it literally was just a little you know turn on and the little lens opens up and just little pocket size right. um, point and shoot and. <laughs> I just, I don't know, there's something about those sunrises and sunsets and all the amazing things I got to witness when I was out um, hunting that really just made me want to capture those things. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really have an eye for it. Um, I had a lot to learn. And I thought if I just got better and better cameras, you know, that I could uh, I could um, get good images. Um, right. But that was kind of the start of it for me. And that was probably more like, oh, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, something like that. Okay. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of finally progressed and got, you know, a little better equipment. And I finally got to a point where I bought my first DSLR, um, and it was actually a Nikon D 5,000 and I, you know, it was a pretty big leap for me because back then, you know, I think that camera cost me about 1200 bucks for the camera and I bought it as a kit. So it did come with a smaller lens, but then I still had to purchase a 70 to 300 lens Um, Which was the most I could afford at the time, and it was about a $700 lens. So, you know, for about $2,000, I was able to get into it. um, And that got me, you know, started, so to speak. But then that just really taught me (laughs) real quick that I had no idea what it took to be a good photographer. (laughs) Um, You know, I just, I've, you know, I got that equipment and thought, ah, heck, man, this is easy. Now I can just go take images, no problem. And learned real quick that there's a lot more to it than that. So, That was kind of, that was probably 2012 when I did that, um, because I remember it was the year I drew my Dutton elk tag, and I was pretty pumped to finally have a good DSLR, because I was hoping that I would connect and I would have an opportunity to get some good, you know, kill shots and stuff and kill images, um, and was pretty pumped about that. Anyways, long story short, um, ended up, you know, getting a pretty good bull on that hunt, and uh as you probably know here in utah that's kind of a once in a lifetime drawing a limited entry oak tag here so pretty fortunate to have drawn that and kill a decent bull and um then the photos though just didn't come out i mean i i obviously just didn't know what i was doing so anyways that <laughs> that started the whole process for me of really trying to just dive in and figure it out and understand you know what it took to make good images and then it's you know kind of the rest is history it kind of progressed from there but
0: yeah what kind of resources did you consult initially to kind of improve your understanding of how to take good pictures?
1: You know, for me, uh, I've, you know, I've talked about this before on other podcasts and that, but it's really the the most critical thing for me really was just that I, I, what I did is it sounds so simple and dumb, but I paid um, to have an hour long training session with a local camera shop. And this was back before a lot of the camera shops actually shut down um, there's very few of them around anymore. Got so uh, back in the day it was inkleys and they actually offered an hour-long training session. it was initially supposed to be on my camera and the settings and all that stuff. But the guy was really super cool and said, Look, man, you can read the manual, you can figure out where the buttons are. He says, How about we spend this hour and just you f- I'm gonna teach you how to shoot in manual. I'm gonna teach you the 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 photography triangle. Yeah. And I had never heard of that before, I had no idea what he was talking about. And so, anyways. He ended up spending about two hours with me, which was, you know, way more than I had paid for what we had agreed to. And he just taught me a ton of stuff about manual photography and and ISO and aperture and shutter speed and how they all play together. And that was the beginning of it for me. That was when I just like it finally clicked. And I it, I mean, I still had a lot to learn. I still do. But it was the the moment when I finally got, oh, OK, now I can control What's going on, and I have a better opportunity to get the, what I'm what I'm trying to create. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me. And then I also did it, and I still do a ton of YouTube videos. Um, I bought a couple books to read, you know, about exposure and about um, you know light and stuff like that. Um, and then I've also had some real good friends through the years. You know, I, I name a few of them, but I've had a few different mentors um, that have really taught me a lot, kind of taking me under their wings. Um, You know, Bill Allard's a guy that just really kind of took Minner's wing and we just kind of shot together and and have been friends, really good friends for years now because of photography. Um, And then Harlan Cooper, who's another just amazing photographer, is another guy that I give a lot of credit to. Um, He's one of those guys that kind of subtly taught me a bunch of things. You know, he wasn't just giving them out for free, but I'm the kind of guy that pays really good attention to what the people around me are doing and You know, he had a lot, he had a good way of, of mentoring me and asking me questions and making me think about things. And I wasn't just, you know, flat out giving me the answers, but he was helping me understand the answers that I needed to find. So, so yeah, Yeah. it was, was, you know, that was a huge, those, those are probably the main sources, but those were all huge things. And to this day, I mean, I still shoot with some amazing photographers and I, and I learn from every one of them, you know, there's something to be learned from everybody. And, uh, you know, that's always been my attitude in life is, I try to surround myself with people that can, that are that are better than me, that can um, help me push me and, and help me grow. And I don't want to surround myself with people that just always tell me my images are cool or that's neat or whatever. I really want to try to surround myself with people that are going to criticize me in a in a positive way, um, and you know, and challenge me and push me to be better. So
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that is. That's exactly right. To put yourself around people who who you can learn from, who you want to be like, and that's a great, great pattern for us all to follow for sure. Yeah. Sweet. So you, uh, so you started learning from them and, uh, started kind of picking up some things here and there, increasing your understanding. Um, but it, I mean, part of it's just got to be spending time out taking pictures too, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. It's funny. I, and even myself, when I first got going in this, I kind of thought, well, all you got to do is go out for a ride and, you know, find critters and get images. You know, it's much harder than that, you know, and you learn real quick that, you know, and, it, and it's funny to kind of talk a little bit about the progression because right, we laugh about it all the time, me and my buddies. But, um, you know, my, when I first went out and the first big mule deer buck I got a photo of, I was just happy to have a photo of a big mule deer buck. And it didn't matter if the light was right. It didn't matter if it was garbage. I just had a photo of a big mule camera. deer buck. Yeah. Yeah, right. So then that, you know, progressed to, okay, now I need to kind of understand I need a better image and I need to get, you know, now I need to think about the light. Now I need to, you know, so it just kind of progresses. And it's funny, every new species, if you will, that I kind of spend time photographing, it's kind of that same process. Uh, Matter of fact, just this last weekend, and and it sounds silly, but with everything going on, everything's so slow right now, and I can't get to my normal spots that I normally would go and try to get photos from um i've had to try to be creative right now with this whole covid thing and still get out but you know social distance myself and try to find other th- opportunities to photograph anyways mm-hmm. that led me to an opportunity to shoot some uh, loons um ah, cool. and loons are something i never thought i'd ever photograph unless i went to canada or to you know to minnesota or something you know up north right. um, but they actually they actually stop over here in utah every spring and every fall and so, so I had an opportunity to go shoot some loons, and it was funny. The point of the story is, I my first few shots of those things they were long, and far they were ways away, they weren't that great. Um, and that's funny because I even kept the images. But then I got, you know, I spent more time with them, and I got better and better images. And so then ultimately I got images that I was really happy with. But there's a whole bunch of them that I first took that I, if I'd had those initial images, I probably would have never taken those images. That makes uh-huh. sense. Yeah. So, yep. you know, you kind of you just kind of progress, you know, after after a while, you've got enough, you know, of a certain type of image. And then you you try to push yourself and be creative and try to come up with something different, you know. But
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, with these images that you're capturing in the field, are you also able to kind of do some editing at home as well? Have you learned about that process or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, real quick. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I very rarely have an image out of camera that's just. Doesn't need any kind of touch up, you know. I mean, because I shoot raw, um, and raw files, you know, you definitely have they come out pretty flat when they come into Lightroom and and you know or whatever photo editing software you're using. Um, So if you're shooting raw, you're more than likely gonna have to touch up your images uh, at some degree. It could be minor, but you're gonna have to do some touch up. Um, And then you then you've got to save your file as a as a format that you know most other um, programs can read, such as a JPEG or a TIFF or something. But, yeah, so I do – I've learned a lot about photo editing, and that's another part of the photo editing side is where I really rely heavily on YouTube as a resource again. And, um, you know, we talk a lot as friends. One of the things we do is when we're out in the field, we'll try to, you know, just sit down in the evenings when things are slow or, you know, after the the day's over, and we'll sit in the trailer or something and just kind of talk about editing, and we'll open up the laptops and – you know, Hey, how did you do this? Or what did you do with that? And how do you do, you know, what's your workflow, blah, blah, blah. And just, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of help each other out and kind of figure out little things. And somebody might like an image of mine and they'll ask me, Hey, well, how did you get that effect? Or what did you do to, you know, to make this happen? You know, and, um, something you learn over the years doing this is that a lot of what you can end up with in the editing process really is dependent upon what you get in the field, in the yeah, condition, you can in settings, a hundred percent, you know, it's, you, you might think well I really like this kind of an edit, but that edit may not work if you don't have the lighting and the certain conditions in you know in the right the if the lighting and the conditions aren't correct for that then that edit may not work so right, a right. lot of that does play into you know what you end up at the end of the day so uh,
0: but no, but back sense.
1: to your back to your question real quick too about the time and feel because this is a really important point I don't want to gloss over it is yes i i spend <laughs> You could ask my wife. I and she probably would tell you it's more than I'm telling you, but I spend a ton of time in the field. And that's really what I've learned is a lot of this is literally just time in the field. And you've got to be out there for to experience and witness the things happening and to have a chance to capture them. You know, you've so I'm I'm a I'm the kind of guy that's coming to spend weekends. I'm gonna do long weekends, I'm gonna try to go over holidays and you know i always reserve a couple weeks of vacation every year to go chase some of my favorite critters like you know elk in the fall and mule deer during the rut and sheep and things like that so yeah it's it's all about time in the field that's really the the key the trick um the the secret if you will so
0: right so uh due to the time that you're spending in the field trying to photograph uh <laughs> you know elk and deer and sheep and ducks etc are you? Do you feel like there's some overlap in, in improving your hunting skills as well? Are you are, are you sneaking in close, or is it helping with your ability to scout and maybe focus yeah. in on the front?
1: Yeah, um, so, in, you know, just being 100% honest, I don't know about so much on the scouting side, just because a lot of the places I shoot, um, the wildlife that I try to photograph are generally not hunted populations. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just all about bang for my buck. You know, I only have so much time in the field. And I've got to try to maximize that. So chasing around um, animals that are hunted with my camera, you know, just doesn't really give you the payoff that you're looking for. I mean, you still might end up with some images, but you're right. going to work real hard for hopefully a couple images. Um, right. Whereas if I, you know, go to a national park or something, I can maximize my um, effort and my time and uh, try to get as much as I can out of that time. Does that make sense? Right.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So yep, you're finding a way to, Capture some pictures of animals that aren't pressured. So yes, not but I will.
1: But I will say that yes, it does. It does teach you about animal behavior a ton. I mean, the more time you spend with a critter, the more time you're going to pick up on body language and you know different um, behaviors that can tell you and help you um, during your hunting season as well. Um, and so I've Absolutely. I've learned a ton about elk. I've seen some crazy, incredible things with elk. I mean, I've literally witnessed a cow bugle, I've witnessed a bull mew, I mean, I've, the hissing behaviors, the glunking, and you, I mean, you name it, I've had the opportunity to be point-blank range and, and witness those kinds of things, um, you know, and it's pretty, you know, that's pretty incredible, and you never would Absolutely. get those kind of experiences, I don't, you know, that many of those kinds of experiences out when you're hunting, you know, so, right. so yeah, it definitely helps you with that, and I think that's a big part of Um, how it plays back into hunting. But I would also say that being a hunter first, I think really helped make me a better wildlife photographer. Cause even as a hunter, you, you know, enough about wildlife behavior and, and, you know, critter behavior to know that, you know, how to get close and how to get, you know, I mean, so for me, for example, I still want to be, you know, 40, 50 yards from a deer or an elk minimum to try to get a good shot. Mm-hmm. um you know and that's that's bow range right and matter of fact i i'm i don't tout myself to be that good of an archer um I'm a, i've been a bow hunter my entire life but i would say that i try to get into that 30 yard range when i'm with my bow so mm-hmm. you know you're, you're definitely trying to get into bow range when you're trying to take a photo of an animal um you know and if you're if you're looking at smaller animals you're trying to get even closer than that so right. it's funny yeah, you're so many tight. people yeah. And so many people look at your equipment and, you know, I'm carrying a gra- around a great big 500 millimeter lens and they think it's a spotting scope that can see for a mile. And what they don't understand is that's really about the same objective as a, or not objective, but the same magnification as a pair of 10 by 50 binoculars. Okay. So yeah. if you think about, you know, looking at that critter through a bino, that's about what I'm seeing when I look through, a, through my camera lens. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely magnifies and helps, but you still got to get pretty close to be able to you know take a good image so right
0: right absolutely so have you have you felt like there's some some crossover between doing wildlife photography and videography have you dabbled in the videography side at all
1: uh yeah absolutely um you know and it's funny i'm learning to be i'm learning to do more on the video side um i just recently was asked to become a co-host of another podcast called the wild and exposed podcast oh cool and yeah, so that's been pretty fun adventure for me. Um, and the 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 owner of the pod or whatever you want to call him, the 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 main guy, of the podcast, his name's Michael Morrow, okay. and he has a company called Morrow Productions. And he actually um, is an amazing videographer and, and does a lot of and has done a lot of videography for commercial and for you know some of the big names, Nat Geo, and you know some of the BBC Wild and some of those kind of things. So he he really, you know, understands video and he's been, you know, teaching me a little bit of the tricks and that and trying to, you know, it's one of those things where if you're out there in the field and you got, you're you're already there, you've got equipment that can take amazing video, you might as well get some clips while you're there, you know, so right. I'll, I've switched now to where I pretty much shoot with a video head, even when I'm doing stills yeah. and I try to get video as much as I can as, and after I'm happy with the photos I've gotten I always try to get a little bit of video in there too. So, that's kind of been my transition at this point, you know, and, and to be honest, that's where the money is right now. I mean, the, the money's really not in photos. The money's in in the video stuff. Guys are willing to pay for the video stuff, but they're, you know, it's it's a pretty saturated market when you're talking, you know, the the still side of things. So.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's good to diversify. And, and uh, there's with all the digital streaming opportunities in the hunting space that are kind of you know growing out there definitely makes sense that there are some opportunities on the videography side
1: yeah
0: and all these yep. companies building apps i could i'm thinking if, <laughs> if you get some uh get some video footage of some elk uh making some of those unique sounds we may be willing to pay for those too
1: <laughs> yeah there you go there you go i've gotten yeah. some pretty crazy stuff with the out there you know and you know, I've still got a little ton to learn on both sides of the, the, you know, the photography and the videography side. But, yeah, I'll tell you what, that's probably one of my favorite things about doing this is it's hard to beat that time in the field with those wild animals. And yeah. the things you get to witness, it's just it's insane. I mean, I, I've seen so many cool things. It's just, you know, <laughs> and yeah, a lot of you don't even capture, awesome. you know, a lot of you right. can't even get on film, video or whatever. You're just not ready. But to still be there and witness it is just pretty awesome. So,
0: yeah, that's right. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> So, so let's say we got somebody who wants to get into wildlife photography, or maybe they just want to take some quality pictures of their hunting, uh, maybe shoot some video. Do you have a recommendation on uh, maybe a good camera or type of camera that they ought to look at um, entry level?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this is always a tough question for me now because, you know, the market really is headed towards mirrorless. And right now, unfortunately, I don't, feel like there's really a lot of good options that are affordable for mirrorless i mean there's not a quote-unquote cheap option out there really um so i'm still kind of i still kind of lead people towards hey look you can get it yourself into a nikon d3500 or whatever the latest version of that is um for about 500 bucks brand new and it's a kit and it comes with a a couple of lenses that'll get you started and the cool thing about that is you can still shoot manual, and you can still learn what it, what photography is all about, and you can still take an amazing image with that mm-hmm. setup. But you you know it, it gets you into the game, so to speak, with for a little bit of money, not a huge investment. And then if you really like it, right, then you kind of figure it out. Then you can kind of decide where you want to go from there. If you want to invest in the mirrorless, or if you want to stay with the DSLR, um, you know, and decide which which, which which you know which route you want to take. Right. And right. um, because, you know, in order to get into a, a what I would say would be a decent wildlife photography setup, you know, you're going to need something like a 150 to 600 lens from a Tamron or Sigma, or you're going to need like a two to 500 from Nikon or a two to 600 from Sony. And you're going to spend anywhere from 1200 bucks to 2400 bucks on those kinds of lenses. Just on the lenses itself. Um, just on the lens itself, you know. And then if you wanna, you know, I would I'm a full frame guy, I would say go full frame if you get serious. And you know, a full frame camera, you're gonna spend anywhere from you might be able to find a refurbished one out there or a used one from somebody, but you're gonna spend, you know, fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars on a on a decent body. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, so you're gonna be five grand into getting a decent wildlife photography setup um if you get serious about it, you know. So right. well, that's a good so idea that, though, to just
0: yeah, to kind of get in on the ground floor and uh, you know, try to get a decent setup. And then, you know, if it's something that really takes off, then you have the kind of have the skill set, I guess, and the understanding to kind of branch off and do a little bit more.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I recommend. You know, it's it's hard for guys. I mean I get I was there and I still am there. I mean I can't just afford to go out and buy you know, the next greatest thing I have to, you know, save my money and save my pennies just like everybody else. And, you know, so I get it. I've invested a lot of money in this, in this passion. Um, You know, just like most people do in their hobbies or whatever their um, passions are. But yeah, you know, start, start low and see if you really like it. And then you can always go from there, you know, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, an estimate on how many days a field you're spending each year?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I've actually thought about this before, and I think the last time I did kind of a count, I figured I was probably spending anywhere between, you know, sixty to eighty days a year in the field, probably between yeah. weekends and you know week, you know, long weekend trips and my holidays and my vacations, and you know, so yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah my, yeah, my wife, it's, it can be a touchy subject sometimes. It's hard to, it's hard to balance all those things. So.
0: Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, don't worry. I won't tell the exact count to your wife. (laughs) That's right. But it's definitely the struggle that, that a lot of us face. If, if, you know, if we've got a spouse that has different interests or maybe shares the interest, but not to the same extreme, or if there's kiddos and, you know, juggling of responsibilities there, um, whether it's, you know, scouting and bow hunting or whether it's, you know, someone's into fishing or, whatever that may be, uh, there's always the balance keeping, you know, keeping everybody happy. And, yeah. um, I, I've seen a lot of folks right now putting in the time at home, working on projects, et cetera. And I know mm-hmm. there's some, some folks trying to win some brownie points, myself included for when, uh, <laughs> when things spread back out and we can get out and do some more, more hunting and stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get yeah. the only dude list knocked off now while you you've got, you know, you don't have anything else to do. So (laughs)
0: exactly. Yeah. My evenings have been pretty free lately. So I've been cranking them out. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you live in Utah and, um, I understand that it's, it's a little bit of a difficult state to, you know, to pull tags regularly. Um, but so what, um, what are you doing, uh, on a yearly basis to try to get out and hunt? Are you still able to, to pull a general tag and archery hunt in Utah regularly? Or what, what's that look like?
1: Yeah, so, you know, in Utah, uh, a lot of the deer stuff has just basically all become limited entry, if you will. Um, We have a, you know, and it's the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, you know, it's tough. The mule deer herd's suffering pretty significantly, you know, all over the West. But, um, so I'm not complaining. It's just reality is now if you want to hunt a decent unit for mule deer, you're going to get, you know, you have to have two to three to four points um, to even draw a general tag. Mm-hmm. Um if you want a limited entry unit, you're gonna be, you know, eight to ten points, something like that. Um right. there's other units there's other units to draw, but it's tough to draw a mule deer tag. Um but fortunately in Utah there's a ton of elk and I still offer an over-the-counter elk tag for an archery that you can hunt, you know, in the the season for Utah is roughly mid-August to mid-September right. for the archery right. hunt. And the deer and the archery the deer and the elk hunt overlap. So you know, you can always draw an over the counter or go buy an over the counter elk tag and still go chase some cows and spikes or, and there are some many bull units that are open too that you could go out and try to chase some, you know, um, uh, raghorns around and, and potentially even a good bull. I mean, there's some units where guys that put in the time and effort can kill a good bull, you know, a good six point bull every year. Um, but it's just, you know, doing your research just like anywhere else and understanding where to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy to pull tags, but I can always have that kind of fall back on. Um, you know, and I've, I've my draw strategy has been to put it in other states too. I've got points in Wyoming, and um, I can always buy over the counter tags in Idaho, which is not far from me. You know, I, I'm an hour from the border in Idaho, and I can be up there, you know, hunting deer and elk over the counter stuff, you know, pretty reasonably if I wanted to, right? So. Right. Um, so yeah, it works out well. And for me, I'm just—it's crazy. I'm at a point in my life where I never thought I'd say this, but I'm just—I enjoy the photography stuff so much that um, if I can draw a good tag, I'm still all about it. But I'd rather just draw a cow tag and go put meat in the freezer um, because I love wild game. Um, right. And then spend the rest of my time, you know, either hunting with my kids or going out and chasing critters with my camera, you know. So right, yeah, I've kind of kind of shifted my my uh, desires over the last few years. It's kind of interesting. but
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that if, the, if you felt like that transition had occurred yet for you. year. I know sometimes folks will get into photography because they don't want to pull the trigger and um, yours, it's, it sounds like it's not that. It's just that, um, you know, I fill the freezer and then, and then find, an op- you know, find as many opportunities you can to capture them on the camera.
1: Yeah, yeah I am always, I've, I will always call myself a hunter. I'm a 100% um, conservationist, I believe, 100% in the model that we have here. Here in the U.S., we're the envy of the world, right, when it comes to our annual populations and what we have available to us. Um, I'm still going to buy my hunting tag and my hunting license, whether I go out and hunt or not. I'll buy my combination license every year because I feel like that supports the, the DNR. Um, if I don't make it out, oh, well, I still am putting money towards conservation. Um, I'll still buy my, my duck stamp, whether I make it out or not. Um, you know, I'm still going to do those things. And, and most, and I'm at, I'm fortunately, I'm at a point where my kids still love to hunt and I'm, I'm hoping that they will always love to hunt. So that's always a reason for me to get out and hunt with them, regardless if I have a tag or not. And that gives us more opportunities in our family to get out and hunt, but I'll always be a hunter. And I, I'll always, I can't ever see myself not being a meat eater and, I'll always enjoy having that the purest protein on the planet, which, in my opinion, is that wild game. So, you know, I, even if I got to the point, I don't think I'll ever get to the point where it's about pulling the trigger. I think it's just really about where I'd rather spend my time. Yeah. Um, and I understand where my food comes from. And I have no problem with, you know, pulling the trigger and putting that meat on the table. So and, you know, I just I, I know there's other being a wildlife photographer. It's funny. You can kind of get put into a box. Right. Um and there's, I guess, you know, the more I think about it, there's not a ton of what I would call, you know, hunting wildlife photographers, you know, especially the big name ones. You know, they're they're generally all about banning hunting and you know some of those kinds of things. So it's kind of been an interesting journey for me, and I've struggled a little bit with my even my Instagram account on, you know, at first did I really want to put out there that I'm a hunter? Um, if that's where I wanted to go, and I finally just got to the point where I said, look, I am who I am. And if that means that I don't get some whatever, whatever, um, an opportunity, um, then so be it, that's not the right opportunity. Um, I'm just going to be true to who I am. So I've never hidden the fact that I'm a hunter. Um, right. and I, I, I just can't see myself never, um, not being a hunter. So, right.
0: Right. No, that's awesome, man. That's one of the reasons why, um, I've always been, um, you know, attracted to the pictures that you take and, and keeping in touch with you, following along with what you're doing. Cause I, Feel like as a hunter i can really relate to uh kind of where you're coming from and i think that um you know being able to help folks understand that you can look you know care for and appreciate these um, wild animals that we enjoy hunting while at the same time you know using them as a food source those things aren't mutually exclusive you know those are those go hand in hand and and that's uh, the hunting that you know helps support the conservation of those animals more than just about anything
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's it's actually been an interesting for me too. Because as I get more into this other this other podcast that I've been working with, um, the Mike, the guy that runs it, he's really been good about. You know, he's a hunter too, and we, you know we're, we've talked a lot about. We'll probably lose some of our message or our audience as we start to talk about some of these things, but we don't we don't care. We're just it is it's who we are, and I think it's important because a lot of the photographers out there actually benefit hugely from the dollars that have been put into conservation by hunters and by and sportsmen and sportswomen the people that are out buying you know guns and buying ammunition and buying tags and and doing those things that all that money goes into conservation whereas a lot of photographers you know what are they what are they contributing yet they benefit tremendously from it so we've talked a lot about on that show about you know, Hey, if you're doing this stuff, go out and buy a a hunting license, you know, even if you're not going to hunt, go out and get your duck stamp, you know, and do those things because that's a way as a photographer, you can still contribute to conservation and give back a little bit to the, to the things that you get to enjoy because of hunters. (laughs) Let's just be real, you know? So, yeah.
0: So that podcast that you've, uh, you've joined up on, how long has it been going?
1: Um, I think it's been going on about a year and a half now. Um you
0: got some yeah, some time underneath you
1: Well, I've only been a part of it for I mean, I was on there as a guest a couple times. Um, but I've you know I've only been on there as a co-host, if you will, for about two months. Okay. Um, But the podcast has been running for about a you know, about a year and a half and uh you know, I've got a decent, you know, a decent following and um we're trying to really, you know, uh create more value there and try to you know, bring a message of not just photography and, and wild animals, but of an overall conservation message too, which is kind of cool. So
0: that's awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we link to that podcast in the show notes for this one, and uh, cool, make that uh, resource available to our uh, our listeners as well. I think that sounds awesome. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, um, let us. I mean, maybe um, let folks know about how uh, how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow you. Um, just in case okay. they
1: don't know. Okay, yeah. Um, so my Instagram is probably my biggest uh, platform. It's Untamed Images by JL. Um, and then I've also got a website, which is the same, Untamed Images by untamedimagesbyjl.com. And then um, you can email me at that same email address at Gmail. Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook, um, the same account name there. Um, and yeah, I'd love to have you guys ping me. And if any of your listeners have any questions at all, um, I've had a lot of folks help me out through my journey, and I'm more than happy to try to answer questions for anybody that um, might have some questions that, or you know, about specific things or just general things. Um, I've had quite a few people reach out to me over the years asking me questions of that, and I, you know, I always try to pay that forward because I had a couple of key guys that were willing to do that for me. So if anybody has any questions at all, feel free to reach out to me and uh, let me know if I can help you. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Really appreciate that. Um, I've, I've got a sweet picture that you took hanging on my wall in my office. Um, you got that to me like six, six weeks ago. I remember seeing that on, uh, Instagram and just thinking, all right, that one's, that one's got to go on the wall. Um, so, so I've mean, maybe let folks know too, you've got on your, on your website, would that be the best place for folks to go if they see an image that they, you know, maybe they see an image on your Instagram, they want to order one. Is that where they go to do that?
1: Um, Yeah, you can go to the website and just order it seamlessly if it's on there. Um, I don't have all my images on there, um, but really the easiest way. If and I'm more than happy to do this. um, Some guys aren't, but if you want to just if you see an image on my Instagram that I post and you want it like kind of like you did, um, just just DM me, um, reach out to me and say hey, I'm interested in a canvas this size of that image. You know how much and you know how do how do we make this happen? you know, with Venmo and PayPal and all those things now it makes it super easy. And I can get that image on the website and have it ordered in, you know, a matter of minutes anymore. So it's pretty, pretty simple to do. So if you see something you like, yeah, please definitely reach out and, um, either on the website or through a DM or a private message or something. And, and I'll get you taken care of,
0: man, that's awesome. You took, it's probably been a couple years, but you had a picture of, a. it seemed like it was a, like a couple of boxy frames mule deer bucks, and one was framed within the rack of the other.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I've been trying to find that one, and I can't find it. I might have to message you about that and see if we can't track that down. That's the next one I want.
1: <laughs> Is it okay? Yeah, we'll take care of you. Um, I'll, uh, i uh, I think I might have archived that one, but if I, I mean, I know which one you're talking about. I was out on Antelope Island and uh that was pretty that was a pretty cool little opportunity right there too for sure heck
0: yeah no that was super cool i remember i was cruising instagram i think laying in bed and i saw that one and had to lean over and show my wife i remember she thought that was pretty sweet too so that (laughs) might be one i get to hang in the house rather than in the office
1: (laughs) nice nice (laughs) well that's always an honor for me if uh if you know a guy's wife lets them put my work in their actual home right that that says it's it was actually worth something so yeah yeah no that's cool well jason Uh, thanks
0: for your time tonight i appreciate you chatting with us and uh absolutely hopefully down the road we can have you on the podcast again and um catch up in person maybe at the hunt expo next year
1: yeah for sure man anytime and i don't know if you drew any tags this year or not but if you did good luck and You know, um, I didn't, so I'll probably be chasing, I'll just be chasing over the counter elk, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We're, uh, in Idaho, still can't put in for controlled hunts yet. Um, Uh, I didn't put in for any of the trophy, uh, you know, moose, bighorn or mountain goat. And so, um, and I shot a bull off last year on a controlled hunt tag. So I'll be putting in for antelope and mule deer here in Idaho. And then I bought points in Utah and Wyoming, just, um, got young kids and pretty good sized family and. So I'm going to save up some points for a while before I start trying to do a lot of -of out-of-state hunting. But uh, fortunate to live in Idaho where we've got some great over-the-counter opportunities like you mentioned. Um, As long as this dang coronavirus doesn't stick around through the fall, um, although I guess maybe that would make hunting a little bit easier on the the Idaho residents this year. But
1: uh, (laughs) the folks who want to come
0: over here and hunt bear and hunt turkeys right now, um, unless they already got their tags bought, are kind of having a hard time.
1: Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. Unprecedented times for sure. But yeah. Well, but again, thanks
0: again, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah.
0: No problem. Okay, man. We'll talk with you later.
1: Okay. Take care.